Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Morning. So today's reading is in Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 10. So if you're using the Bible um, behind you, so it's on page 1048, Luke Chapter 15, verse 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and the neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose one woman has has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God of a one sinner who repents. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks. Well, some of Jesus' parables are getting harder and harder to relate to these days, aren't they? Last week we had the man who knocks on his neighbor's door for to ask for three loaves of bread in the middle of the night, and perhaps you know we're all just thinking, well, you know, just go to the Seven Eleven. Uh, Today we've got sheep and coins. So I thought I'd ask, uh, how many of you in this room here today have ever seen a sheep in real life? Quite, quite a lot. Okay, good, good, good. How many have, have met a shepherd? A couple? Yeah, okay. How many of you have ever seen a coin in real life? <laughs> I've got one. I brought one here with me today. This is a coin. This is the thing we used to use in the olden days <laughs> to pay for things. It's called cash. And, uh, you know, my kids, I don't know if they even really kind of know much about using coins or carrying cash. My niece is um, one of these, you know, a t- almost a teenager who does TikTok dances. And uh, one of them that was there recently was to this song that starts with this line. I don't know if you've heard this. My money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. <laughs> I don't know if you've done this. <laughs> anyway, you can ask us about it later. My money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. Anyway, my kids were like, what does that mean? <laughs> does, does money, what does it mean that money jiggles or even that it folds, right? Coins and notes? They just don't know about cash. Uh, this is not a joke. Last night, Tom came home. This coin, he said, I was walking outside the library today and I saw something in the ground and it was shiny. And it was round. And I picked it up. It was 
is this coin? And he was like, I haven't seen one of these for so long. It's got a platypus on it. It's really beautiful. This is the coin that he brought home. And it's not a joke. He was shocked to kind of have seen it and what it jogged in his memory. So for us, perhaps this story, um, I don't know how hard you or I would look for a coin. I mean, does anybody want this? I don't want it. Do you want it? (laughs) Can you even use it anymore? I mean, what will it get you? But but perhaps uh, maybe the parable of the lost phone (laughs) might work. When was the last time you lost something and uh, looked really hard to find it? Maybe a phone? We're looking in this series, um, just the three weeks that I'm, I'm preaching Thursday Chapel, on some parables that Jesus tells in Luke's Gospel. And they're all parables that take this similar form. Uh, last week I talked about the how much more parables. So this lesser to greater argument. Uh, they move from a situation in which it's meant to be kind of obvious what a person would do, a human would do in these stories Jesus tells and move then to an assurance about God's character and God's actions, God's heart for us. But sometimes these human situations can be hard for us to connect to, uh, given the size, the kind of increasing size of the cultural gap between us. And the four parables that I've chosen, one last week, next week, and two today, uh, as well as all being of this same kind of form, Uh, Also four that are perhaps a little bit confusing. Uh, Neglected, maybe overlooked sometimes because they can be hard to understand. Or maybe like today's, that they just seem a little uninteresting. (laughs) Two short stories. One about a lost sheep. We don't know much about sheep. Maybe some of you do, actually. Uh, And coins, you know, which are kind of perhaps not that interesting. And you might also know, or you can see in front of you if you've got Luke 15 open that these two short stories that we read today uh, also come together with the longer story of the prodigal son or the lost son or the two sons or whatever you might like to call it. Uh, And often these two get overshadowed, I think, by the story of the prodigal son and perhaps that's fair enough. They kind of make a similar point, but the prodigal son story is longer, it's more dynamic, it's more interesting, it's more human. We can connect to it. It's more nuanced. Uh, and, and perhaps we kind of tend to focus on that one. And, and we kind of get the point of these first two, but maybe we don't really feel them, right? So today, I just want us to focus on these little stories and to ask, what do they add? Like, why do we still have them? Why do we still have them if, if the prodigal son is just kind of the same story but better, Right? So ask, what do we get? So there are some simple answers maybe first up, three stories to make the same point might just be about emphasis to make sure that you get the point. It's like this. It's like this. It's like this, you know, again and again and again. Three stories uh, to make the same point could also be about access, right? Different stories of different situations that might appeal to different uh, members of of the listening audience, help you connect with a broader segment of the crowd. You know, Jesus is taking a preaching class and he's learned some good lessons, some illustrations that connect with different people perhaps. 
But perhaps the differences in the stories might also be important too. Perhaps the differences might complicate uh, the message in interesting and complementary ways. And that's what we're going to kind of reflect on a little bit this morning. So the big picture, the bit that's common to all these three stories is uh, the idea that's repeated in the last verse of the first two, in verse 7, you can see it, and in verse 10. And it's the idea that is really enacted in the story of the prodigal son and in the, in the um, character of the younger son and his father. Jesus says, rejoice, celebrate, for what is lost is found. Uh, I tell you, says Jesus, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So we're going to ask what these two short stories kind of add to this message. And I'm going to uh, suggest three things. One that comes from the two of them together and then one that's distinctive about each. So first from both. uh, And in fact, immediately both of these stories seem to complicate this, uh, uh, what seems to be the teaching of the parables straight up. The primary point where Jesus talks about the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. But in both of these two stories, no one repents, right? Uh, The sheep and the coin, they don't sin. They don't get lost of their own volition. uh, And they don't repent. They don't turn back. They are simply lost and then they are found. And all the action in the story is the action of the seeker, the shepherd and the woman. Some people then have worried that uh, these parables kind of might seem to offer maybe, you know, cheap grace or to minimise what's required for salvation or have worried that there seems to be some kind of conflict between these first two stories and the message of the parable of the prodigal son, between the work of God in salvation and what's required of humans, of sinners. Does God seek and find and save the lost? Or do sinners have to turn and repent and ask for forgiveness? And here, of course, I want to put up uh, that meme on the screen of that cute little girl with the short brown bob. I think she's from the taco ad, you know, who shrugs her shoulders and she says, why not both, right? (laughs) Are sinners sinners? Yes. Are sinners lost? Yes. Do sinners need to repent? Yes. Does God seek and find? Yes. The primary point of the three stories about God's attitude, his joy, the rejoicing, the celebration in heaven over those who are lost and found is the same. But whereas the story of the prodigal son emphasises God's ready welcome for those who turn to him, these first two stories remind us that all of that is at all possible because it's God who takes the initiative. It's not cheap grace. It's God's radical love. Remember, Jesus tells these parables in response to the question and the, kind, the grumbling of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that he's spending too much time with sinners, bad folks. And, and yes, the proclamation of the kingdom calls people to repentance. But Luke's gospel, perhaps in particular, really also emphasises that it's God's initiative 
Jesus' initiative in bringing the good news to those who really need it. Because actually, God didn't just stay at home waiting for his children to realise their error and turn back to him. Did he? But he acted again and again and again throughout history in the call of his people to form a nation, to be a people, and finally in Christ. It's all God's initiative that even makes the repentance possible. So these two parables complement the story, I think, of the prodigal son by emphasising God's initiative to seek and save the lost. So what about the lost sheep? Well, perhaps this uh, story of the lost sheep brings to mind for you a familiar image from the Old Testament. There we see God describes himself and his appointed uh, leaders of Israel as shepherds. We see that image uh, a few times. And, And Israel as sheep. You might think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Or perhaps you might think of Uh, a very striking passage from Ezekiel chapter 34, and you can have a look there if you want to now. Ezekiel 34, God condemns Israel's leaders for their failure as her shepherds. Instead of feeding, watering, leading and nurturing the sheep, God says, Israel's shepherds have fed on them instead, devoured them gotten fat from them, used them for their own ends, harmed instead of nurtured and crushed instead of lifted up. It's a really strong language in this passage. God says, I am against the shepherds. But then he goes on, if you have a look at it, uh, 34 verse 4. And just listen to this in light of our parable. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. They were scattered because there was no shepherd. My sheep wandered over all the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched and looked for them. This is God's indictment of Israel's leaders. And then he says, verse 11, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock. I myself will tend my sheep. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. So when people grumble at Jesus for hanging out with sinners... And Jesus replies by likening those sinners to lost sheep and likening himself to the shepherd who seeks and finds. He's doing two things. First, he's connecting himself with Israel's God. Right? This is, uh, uh, has messianic Christological implications here. Connecting himself with the identity of Israel's God, the shepherd, the one who seeks and finds. Second, I think he's suggesting that Israel's leaders, perhaps these Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who grumble about what Jesus is doing, have failed to tend their flock, have scattered those who they ought to bring in, that their rejection of these that they see as outside the scope of Jesus' ministry is their failure to shepherd their flock. 
They're lost because they haven't been shepherded and they need a good shepherd. This is an affront perhaps to those listening, just as perhaps we've learned in the parable too of the prodigal son. It's a rebuke to them perhaps and maybe also if, as we read, our primary reaction is to worry that this goes a little bit too easy on sinners. Maybe it's a rebuke to us too. So what can we say then about the parable of the lost coin? Uh, Of these three, this is definitely the most neglected. Once you've dealt with the prodigal son and then you've said some things about the shepherd, it kind of feels like everyone just says, oh, this is basically the same, Uh, but maybe less interesting. (laughs) I had a coin. I lost it. I found it. Woohoo, what a story. (laughs) It's really great. So why? Why is it here? Well, firstly, here, as in uh, several other moments in Luke's gospel, Luke gives us a pairing of two stories, one with a male character and one with a female character. Sometimes they're stories of discipleship. Here, both the shepherd and the woman are the ones who teach about God, God's character and action. Luke wants to raise the profile of women as Jesus' hearers, his disciples, and, as in the message of this parable, those whom he is here for, those who are included. If you want to know more about that, Scott has a book about this. You can read about Luke's gospel and the women in Luke's gospel. But the language, male and female, is a real contrast here in these two stories. The shepherd is male, his friends are male, his neighbours are male, the ones he addresses and celebrates with. The woman is female, her friends are women friends, her neighbours are women neighbours, and even the coin is grammatically female in this story. And so this deliberate pairing is consistent across the gospel uh, and with the message of this parable. Also, unlike for us, where the largest coin we have, uh, I worked this out last night, a $2 coin, is less than one-tenth of minimum wage for one hour, so it's worth about six minutes of your work. Uh, the coin that this woman loses is worth about one day's wage. So that's at least, you know, $170 at minimum wage for eight hours. So this is, you know, kind of like dropping two hundies, right? It's kind of worth looking for. It's not a $2 coin. There's value in what is lost. And it's in this story where the act of searching is also most emphasised, most deliberate, most persistent. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, she searches carefully to find what is lost. It's the woman's diligence that uh, is the factor that stands out over against the other two stories. Interestingly, um, there is a Jewish rabbinic version of this parable, very similar by another Jewish rabbi, a little bit later in time, but it goes like this. If a man loses a sila or an obol, that's a coin, in his house, he lights lamp after lamp, wick after wick, till he finds it. Now, does it not stand to reason if for these things, which are only ephemeral and of this world, a man will light so many lamps and lights till he finds where they are hidden? For the words of the Torah, which are the life both of this world and the next world, ought you not to search as for hidden treasures. So it's a very similar story. It's a how much more story, right? If this, then that. But notice the difference. In the rabbi's parable, it goes like this. If you'd look hard for a coin, 
which is only of value for this life, how much more ought you to work hard to find the treasures of the Torah, which are value for this life and the next? Jesus' parable goes like this. Just as a woman would search hard for a lost coin, so God will seek and find and search for his lost ones that they might have life in this life and the next. Notice the difference in who's doing the work here to find the life, right? Jesus doesn't tell us that we have to search for something hidden in a dark corner, impossible to find, inaccessible. But it is us who are hidden, us who are lost, us who have turned away, and it is God in Christ who searches and finds and offers life. So to close, I just want us to think a little about our context today. And I wanted to emphasise these first two parables instead of the prodigal son. Not because I want to ignore the idea of sinners and repentance and the need for forgiveness, but because increasingly I think in our communities and in our city and in our country, Australians have never even heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you go back to the context for Jesus' telling of these stories, the sinners, the outcasts, the tax collectors, whoever it is that's being uh, looked down on or excluded, Jesus says they need to know, despite the disapproval, the rejection of the Pharisees, despite the self-righteousness perhaps of church folks, of us, despite what you've heard in the media, the public face of Christianity, which doesn't perhaps do us any favours, they need to know that God's love is for them too. Do they know that? Have they heard that? That God's welcome is for them? I mean, even in the story of the prodigal son, the younger son, if you think about him, what he does is bad. But he seems to know already because he's the son of this father. He knows what his father is like. He seems to know, to trust that if he goes back, if he repents, he will be received, right? His action is dependent on his knowledge already of his father. If I do this, this is what I think will happen. So he's able to recognise when he's out there and he's lost everything that this isn't the end for him, that there could be more, that there could be something better, and he knows the character of his father already, such that he has confidence to return. But, but what about people who don't know the love of the father, have never heard that God loves them and have only ever heard the opposite, that God hates them, that they're not welcome, that we don't want them, that they're not okay? And what about people who just haven't heard at all? I mean, it's, it's, you can grow up in Australia today and you don't even know what Christmas is about, what Easter is about, right? Just never heard. What about people whose brokenness and, yes, even whose evil is largely not due to anything they've decided, nothing they've done on purpose, but to what has happened to them? It's the only thing they've ever known. Do they need to repent? Sure, they need to repent. Do they need to be found by someone who can tell them 
what repentance is, what it means, what it can do, what it's for, and what a difference it can make to know that there is a home for them that they've never known, there's a love for them that they perhaps can't even imagine, and a father whose character that they may never have seen. Even as God calls sinners to repentance, God takes the initiative to come to us. Jesus came, he said, to seek and save the lost. Uh, So in, in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Who will tell them about their heavenly father, about their home, about the feast that God prepares for them, about the inheritance that he gives and the wholeness that is possible, the rejoicing in heaven for each and every one. Who will tell them?